Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. One of the things that makes the Bible more fascinating to read is learning to recognize different patterns in Scripture. The more you read Scripture, the more you see that there are, there are threads, there are patterns that happen over and over again in Scripture. And when you, when you recognize those patterns, the Scripture, it comes alive in new ways. Or it becomes clearer. It just makes sense. Um, it's more relatable. And if you don't see any of these patterns, if you're just reading through Scripture, you don't see any of the threads that run through the whole of Scripture, or if you don't recognize these patterns, it can get kind of dull, it can get kind of lifeless, it can lose its punch. But the more you recognize these patterns, the more interesting it gets. One of these patterns is called dramatic reversals. And we've talked about this a little bit before, a dramatic reversal. It's when everything appears to be at a low point. It's when you're in a situation or someone in Scripture is in a situation that is impossible to get out of. There's, it's a no-win situation. There's no escape. There's no hope. Something bad is going to happen and that's it. And then all of a sudden, God steps in in some amazing way and completely reverses things instantly and joy returns hope returns it's called a dramatic reversal and we see it all over scripture Um, we see it when the israelites are enslaved in this back-breaking work in egypt and the work that they were asked to do was impossible and the egyptians kept raising the standard of production while making the work more difficult. They were put in an an impossible, back-breaking situation. And God sent Moses through a series of miracles to free them. So the Israelites were freed. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, finally says, just, it's not worth it. This is terrible. Just leave. Just go. Go be with your God. Go to your own land. Fine. I give up. So the Israelites left, they were escaping, they they got into the wilderness and they got in front of the Red Sea and they were in front of this massive sea and then they looked back and Pharaoh had changed his mind. The king of Egypt said, there's no way we're going to be able to do all the work they were doing. We can't afford to pay people to do this. We had free labor and there's no way we're going to be able to survive or we're going to collapse. So he said, go back, get them again. Just go bring them back. So he sent 600 chariots to go get the Israelites. The Israelites are standing here in front of the Red Sea. They look back and they see these chariots coming at them. And there's nowhere to turn. There's nowhere to go. It looks hopeless. They're about to get captured and brought back into this backbreaking work. And Moses says, just wait. Wait on the Lord. He will provide a way for us. And God says to Moses, what are you waiting for? Just stretch out your shepherd's rod over the Red Sea and stretch out your hand over the sea and I'll make a way. And so he did that and the sea parts. 
this dramatic reversal. It looked absolutely hopeless, and then an impossible thing happens. The Israelites are walking through. The last Israelite steps out, gets out of the Red Sea, and it collapses behind them as the Egyptian chariots are coming after them. It's a dramatic reversal. It's an impossible situation that unless God steps in, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. These are all over Scripture. In the New Testament, there's a story of Jesus and a guy named Jairus comes up to Jesus and he says that his daughter is really sick. He has a 12-year-old daughter at home. She's really, really sick. And he asks, will you please come to my house and heal her? Jesus says, yes, I will. They're going, Jesus is on his way to this little girl's house to heal her. And a lady who'd been sick for 12 years works through the crowd as Jesus is traveling there because Jesus always had a crowd around him. And she touches the, the hem of his garment, and she's healed instantly. And Jesus says, who, who touched my garment? Someone, someone reached out to me. And the disciples are like, you're crazy. There's, there's people all around you. Everyone's like bumping into you. We're all getting bumped into. And he said, no, someone did it with intention. I sensed my power leaving me in a way that was healing someone. And he finds her and he talks to her, he ministers to her. And while he's doing that, someone who's staying at the house of this 12-year-old girl who's sick arrives and looks at Jairus and says, don't bother the teacher anymore, she's dead. She died. And Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe, just believe. Jairus was in need of a dramatic reversal. This is an impossible situation that actually happened. And Jesus says, where's Peter, James, and John? Hey, come with me, guys. Let's go. And he brings the three disciples, the three inner, you know, inner circle disciples that got to see some things that the others didn't. They go to her house, and everyone's weeping and wailing and crying outside. And Jesus says, what's everyone crying for? She's only asleep. And they're like, they're making fun of him. They're mocking him. And he says, I just want Peter, James, and John, and mom and dad, let's go inside. Everyone else stay outside. Goes into the 12-year-old girl's room, and she had passed. And he takes her by the hand, and he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she gets up and starts walking around, and, and Jesus says, give her something to eat. She's probably hungry. A dramatic reversal. This happens all over scripture and of course the epicenter moment of dramatic reversal is the resurrection this is a pattern in scripture that is meant to instruct and encourage you right now in your life in whatever season of your life you might be facing this is meant to encourage you because the promise that's available to every person who calls on the name of the Lord is that no matter how bleak the story may get at times for you, the end of the story is magnificent because the greatest dramatic reversal is yet to come. And that is what this passage, this phrase that we're going to study today is pointing us toward. That's the message of this phrase. 
We've been reading through the spiritual armor that God provides. The idea is that we're in a, we're in a battle for our souls. And God has provided for us spiritual armor to protect us from the great spiritual antagonists, uh, weapons against us, the ways that he fights us. This is the spiritual armor. And I'm going to start, you can follow along in scripture if you have it with you. It's, we're going to read Ephesians 6 and we're going to start with verse 10 and we're going to end with verse 17. And verse 17 is the phrase that we're going to really land on today. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, and a lot of this is by way of review and to set the context again for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, that's what we're going to focus on today. The reason that a Roman soldier would wear a helmet as armor is to protect him from any assault directed at his head, his thinking capacity, his mind. And that could be a club, it could be a sword, it could be a spear, it could be a rock, it could be a hammer, it could be any number of things, but it was meant to protect him from all these assaults that would be coming at him in war. So what does what is the spiritual helmet represent? What, what does that protect us from? Because nobody's throwing stuff at us really today. And to be honest, I had a little trouble figuring this out at first because it's the helmet of salvation. And salvation is a little tricky because it has three tenses. Salvation has a past tense that we are saved from the penalty of sin. We've been rescued and made right in God's sight forever, permanently, because of what Christ has done. And then it has a present tense. Salvation um, saves us from the power of sin. So the more we walk with Christ, the less we do things that violate that relationship. And then it saves us from, ultimately, in one day in the future, it'll save us from the, the presence of sin altogether. We will no longer have any type of sin or sinful desire as part of our being. So I wasn't really sure which one of those, uh, or if all of them, if, if that's what the helmet of salvation was really about. And I didn't really know. I was sitting in my um, new office on Friday, and I was listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preach on this. Old school. Fantastic teacher of Scripture. And it clicked. 
what he said made sense. And the more that I studied it after that, the more it's like, yeah, I think that's exactly what this passage is saying. The metaphorical helmet of salvation is meant to help us when we begin to wonder if the whole Jesus thing is even worth it. We begin to have doubts. We begin to realize that maybe this actually isn't what I signed up for. I was sold something that's not part of my experience right now. I don't know if you guys have ever um, rented an Airbnb, but it's possible, if you're not careful, to, to look at the pictures of an Airbnb and to rent it and then to go experience it, and it's not exactly what the pictures showed that it would be. Um, if you don't read the... <laughs> You have to read what people say about it. I didn't know that at first, and I just saw the pictures. Oh, I believe you. That's what it looks like now. And I rented one, a place one time in, in Pennsylvania, in a beautiful, beautiful part of Pennsylvania. is for a, a solitude and prayer retreat, and it was two nights. And I looked at this. It was like, wow, that's a killer price. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It looks good enough. So I got there. And the first thing that I noticed is there's like, um, there's like 12 hornets that were flying around the front door. And I couldn't, I don't know where they lived. I don't know where their nest was or what, I just had no idea. They were just flying. They were like, the closer I got, they started like dive bombing me. And I was actually thinking, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to just go home. I don't even know if I can get into this place. I finally got in. I slammed the door behind me and it was 95 degrees in that place. It was like 95 degrees. Now, there was a picture of a window air conditioning unit. And so I go over the window air conditioning unit, and it's already running. And it's blowing out hot air, and it's like falling out of the window. It looks really bad. It looks like the picture was taken 15 years ago. So it's hot. It's sticky. I'm going to have to sleep. It's going to be all sweaty and gross. I hate that. I hate that. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. I go and I open the door to the bedroom and the door just falls off the hinges. <laughs> and I'm completely serious. You know what they did? They put the door on the hinges and they didn't put any pins in. It just, they just set it on the hinges. I'm like, someone could get seriously hurt. This is ridiculous. I'm staying here for two nights. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what the pictures looked like. And sometimes Christianity can feel that way. You were, giving, you were given a flyer with pictures of what your life will be like when you become a Christian. And it just doesn't seem to be playing out that way. There's um, something that Christians do sometimes. We have these things called tracts, and we pass them out to people, and some of those are helpful, and some of those are ridiculous. But um, there's, a, there's a parody of one of these tracts, and it just explains why you should be a Christian. Sometimes they're good. But there's a parody of that. It's a first century Christian tract. And it, it, it says, um, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then it shows a Christian getting eat by, eaten by a lion. And that's how it kind of feels sometimes. Well, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But the wonderful plan means that he's present to you no matter what you're facing. And at the end of the story is magnificent and beautiful, but it doesn't always feel like that in the moment. Maybe for you there's some habit that's destructive that you just can't break. There's an illness that won't go away. There's a heaviness that won't lift. Or your life just kind of feels meh all the time. Dull. 
And you begin to wonder, is the whole Jesus thing even worth it? Does it actually make any difference in my life? The helmet of salvation is a piece of spiritual armor that's meant to help you not fall into that rut. And we see in the Bible that other people felt that way too. 2 Peter 3 warns us that there will be scoffers in the last day. There will be people, they were experiencing it back then, there will be people who say to us things like, Ah, oh, Jesus is coming back. Huh? I'm looking up at the sky and I don't really see anything different. I don't really see any person coming up out of the sky. Where is this, where is this salvation that you talk about? God answers by saying, I'm being patient so that more people will come into the kingdom. This is actually for you that I'm waiting. But we'll hear stuff like that. Psalm 73 is outrageously relatable in a lot of ways for a lot of us at a lot of times. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, I'm jealous of the wicked. They get to do whatever they want. Seems like everything's working out for them. You know, I'm trying to follow God and, and people who are stiff-arming God, they seem to, they don't suffer physically in any way. They never get in trouble for what they do. They brag about oppressing others. Everything comes easy to them. And here I am trying to live a faithful life, a life for Christ. And... I can't seem to catch up. I'm always behind. All day long, things seem to go wrong for me. This is the psalmist speaking. But then the author of the psalm gives us a line that echoes the point of the helmet of salvation. He says all these things. I, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to, to appropriate the Spirit's help to live a faithful and good life. I'm trying to be honest at work. I'm trying to do everything right. And I'm seeing these other people that are just passing me up and getting the promotions, and they're cheating and they're lying. That's not fair. And then the psalmist says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It doesn't make sense and it never will. Until, he says, I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. In other words, he remembered that there is a day coming when God will dole out rewards to those who ex accepted and received this gift of salvation from God and people who have decided, I want nothing to do with you, God. There is a day coming that God says, okay, the invitation is now closed. I see that you don't want life with me forever, so you can have life apart from me forever. There is a day coming where everything will be made right. But for now, our spiritual enemy wants us to lose heart. The helmet of salvation points us to the future. The helmet of salvation points us to the day when Jesus returns. I mean, we are a community of people who are waiting for our King to come back. That's what we are as Christians. And Scripture tells us in a multi multitude of ways, if you just hold on, it will be worth it. The Bible says things like, every tear will be wiped away, there will be no more sadness. Judgment will be distributed. You will be rewarded openly for public and private acts of service and love and generosity and integrity. You'll be rewarded for things that you've done to increase your relational intimacy with Christ if you just hold on.
it'll be worth it. No matter how bleak things may look at different seasons of your life, we're awaiting this dramatic reversal that will make obsolete every single way that we've suffered up to this point. Every way will be made obsolete. And it could happen at any moment. And that is what's meant to keep us faithful. That's what's meant to keep us steadfast in difficult times. The salvation that it's talking about, the helmet of salvation, is the day that Jesus returns. Another way of saying this, a fancy way of saying this, is that our our eschatology informs our ethics. Eschatology is what we believe about when Jesus returns, when the king returns, and all the good he's going to dispense, and all the judgment he's going to dispense. What we believe about that day informs how we live right now. Like we're in the middle of the rut of work and school, but vacation is coming. And what gets us through the rut of school and work and life right now is the fact that we're going to be sitting in Florida over spring break. You were created, you, you were created, you were made to look forward to things in the future and to borrow joy from the future while living in the present. That's why the Bible all over the New Testament says, remember that he's coming back, remember that he's coming back. And in the very last, one of the very last sentences of Scripture and Revelation says, please come back quickly, Jesus. Come back quickly. I want to end by giving us a few Scripture references that you can use to fortify, strengthen this helmet of salvation, to make it more real, to add a little bit of creative imagination so that more and more frequently you're thinking about that day that Jesus comes back because I mean it's I think everyone knows this that what you think about expands what you focus on expands in your thinking and in your experience of life so we are people who focus on that day and there's a ton about it in scripture so I'm just gonna give us four verses and if you have a bulletin these the references are in there but you can listen to me read them The first one's Romans 8.18, for I consider, you hear me say this a lot, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The ways that we suffer right now, we're not even going to remember those. God's going to make all of those obsolete in a minute. Every problem that you're in the middle of figuring out will be solved in a nanosecond when Jesus returns. You no longer have to figure it out. It's over. The king is back, and there's nothing but bliss and joy for the rest of eternity in a very real way. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. And by the way, he just spent most of 1 Corinthians 15 before this talking about the metaphysical difference between a resurrected body and a natural body that we live in right now. I mean, he goes into some interesting detail. What's the metaphysical difference between this body that I'm in right now and what my resurrected body will be like? Some interesting, fascinating details that he goes into. And then he says this at the end of explaining and talking through all that, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, sleeping, he's talking about dying. We won't all die. Not everyone's going to die, but everyone, whether you're alive or dead, will receive this new resurrected body. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last 
trumpet, representing when Jesus, when the king returns. For the trumpet will be sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Dead or alive, if you are in Christ, you receive this new resurrected body that never gets old, that never breaks down, that never gets hurt, to live on a newly created heaven and earth. Second Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We're not people that lose heart. That's not part of who God made us to be. As followers of Jesus, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I told this illustration, I think, um, the end of year one of Southside, so a lot of you weren't here to, to hear it, but it's, it's the story of, imagine that you were, you were invited to this island, you and one other person, you were invited to this island, and you were going to live, live there and work for five years. You had to work like 20, no, let's say what's realistic, you had to work 15 hours a day. You go to this island as part of this new government program. They're going to they're gonna see what keeps people going. So you and this other person, you go to this island, and they tell you what your work is, and it's just this nasty, you're in this small box of a room. It's gross, it's dark, it's damp, and you, you have this meaningless task to do. Like you're, you're putting something together and, and throwing it in a pile, and it's just meaningless, and it hate it 15 hours a day seven days a week of doing this meaningless toil just drags on you're losing heart and you and this other person have to do this for five years as part of this government experience experiment and one day you're doing that and someone pulls you out of the room and they say hey we're going to tell you now what you get at the end of five years working 15 hours a day seven days a week in this terrible environment here's what you get the first person they say, you're going to get $35,000. So it's going to be worth it for you. You're going to give away five years of your life for this. $35,000. You get a really nice car. The other guy gets taken out, and they say, at the end of five years, you're going to get $100 billion. When this is over, you're getting $100 billion means you can do whatever you can you can do whatever you want spend it however you want but at the end of five years that's going to be your experience so the guy that gets $35,000 he goes back in there and he has nothing to look forward to he's glum he's losing heart there's nothing there's nothing at the end of it there, there's nothing that's going to make it all worth it the guy that's going to get a hundred billion dollars however he's he's energized the work doesn't bother him he doesn't lose heart he keeps he keeps going and he's smiling and he's dreaming and he's thinking about that future he's thinking what it's going to be like to have a hundred billion dollars he's thinking of all the fun things he's going to do with his family and friends all the ways he's going to take care of people and he's excited and 15 
15 hours a day for five years just goes by like that. That light momentary affliction means nothing compared to what he's going to receive at the end of this experiment. And that is what it's like to be a Christian. Except we're going to get something far better than $100 billion. We're going to be a part of an ecosystem, a creation that never fades, that never dims, that never gets stale, that never gets old, that always, it's ever fresh. Because Jesus is there in person with us, the most loving being who just emanates love and care and provision. He's going to be with us here on some new created earth, some new created space, and we're going to never break down. We're never going to get sick. We're never going to get old. We're going to live in bliss forever, growing in our knowledge of each other and how good God is moment by moment by moment by moment, and it'll never get old. Christians are people who were designed to look toward that future to get through the crumminess of sometimes what feels like our experience here on earth. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I want to read one more verse for you guys, just as a, a way of encouraging you. And some of you, you know, the Christian life is not always glum and hard and difficult. I don't want you to have that idea at all, because sometimes it is really massively joyful, and there's a way for us to experience pain and suffering and joy at the same time. In fact, that's the normal mode for Christians, but sometimes that joy is not there, and we, we need to remember what we're waiting for. And this is what it is. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. This is Romans 13, 11, and 12. And he's speaking to you. It's the ever-present voice of God speaking to you through Scripture. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation, friends, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.